the entire summer we're going to spend in the Minor Prophets, which uh, is not really explored often and probably because it's extremely intense, really violent, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a blast with it, right? You thought it was summer soft. No, it is like summer fire. We're going in with the Minor Prophets, and I love their message. Here is, as with all of the Minor Prophets, here is going to be our structure, okay? So for 13 weeks, 13 Minor Prophets, here's what we're going to talk about, and here's what they all confront. Number one, there is the case against rebellion. So they come out of the gate, and here is the case that I have against you. This is the rebellion that is driving me insane. There's a call to repentance. So then he says, now, listen, you better change some things. And if you don't change some things, off with your heads. And then the third is a covenant of restoration. There is a covenant of restoration. So there's the case against rebellion, the call to repentance, and a covenant against restoration. Hosea 1, 1 through 7. Let's dive right in. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the year of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is where it gets really good. Picture this in a movie format. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. What? Told you, the minor prophets, they're fun. Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Remember this. This will illustrate how Israel had acted like a prostitute by, by had acted like a prostitute during by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Sorry, prostitute has me flustered. It's like, whoa, did I just say that? Really? Verse three. Let me read that again. I want you to catch the clarity of it. This is what the Lord said. Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the valley of Jezreel. Soon, Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said, Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo-Rahamah, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of of Judah, I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. Okay, contextually, let me, let me give you a couple things here. Number one, uh, Hosea is called by God to preach against the rebellion of Israel. That's pretty clear here. Go marry a prostitute and tell him this is what I think of you, all right? So he's, he's called by God to go and to preach against the rebellion of the children of Israel. It was during the reign of King Jeroboam, who was a horrible king. He led the people into more and more rebellion. And then Assyria came, and Assyria by way of Babylon, we, we went through a whole season on this, overthrew the nation of Israel. They find themselves in a pile of rubble, and Hosea is preaching for 25 years during this time, okay? Uh, 
Another step before we get in is we have to have, if we're going to walk through an entire season on the minor prophets, we have to understand our relationship to Israel. Have to understand it or else none of it is going to connect the dots because 95% of the minor prophets are smashing on Israel. This is Israel and this is what Israel has done and tell them they're a prostitute and send somebody to marry them and have children with them and prostitution and say, this is what I think of you. So here's what we have to understand about Israel. Uh, number one, in fact, guys, do you have, this is, okay, so this is so much, but you should have seen my hand-drawn picture of this tree. It was, uh, it wouldn't have made sense, but this is a brilliant job, again, by Jan, our media team. Um, wait a second. Is this it? Nope, this is the wrong one. Go back. First one. Uh, yes, this is it. Okay, so Old Testament, we have the tree on the left, right? We have the old, and this is Israel. And this is how it started. It started as the nation of Israel. And if you read through the narrative of the Old Testament, you will see it go from the nation of Israel to the faithful remnant that is left from the nation of Israel, okay? So there is this, in fact, Keith Matheson, who is a PhD on Israel and New Testament church, this is what he says. The relationship between the people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament is better described in terms of an organic development rather than either separation or replacement, okay? I think that's great. You're gonna see an organic development of Israel and it's all gonna tie together at the end. So in the Old Testament, we have Israel is the tree, was the nation of Israel is who God was speaking to. God loves the nation of Israel. God was protecting. That was his people, everything else. Then a, a faction of that broke off as the faithful remnant. And as the narrative increases, you will see God say, but I still have a faithful remnant in Israel that I will protect. I'm done protecting Israel, but the people of Judah, I will free them from their enemies. I will protect them, not by their chariots and not by their warriors, but by my power as their God. We just read that, right? Okay, so on the other side of the tree, you have the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were not part of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They were outside of God's people, okay? We have to understand that. So now you have Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit falls on the church, and when it does, the nucleus of the church is, I love the storm in the background is Pentecost. Man, just next level again, Jan. So then we go to New Testament. We have Israel. Just track with me, okay? If you catch this, everything else for the next 13 weeks is going to make a whole lot of sense. New Testament is the true Israel. When we talk about true Israel, it's two things. Jewish followers and Gentile followers of Jesus. That becomes the, not the new, it's not replaced, there is no separation, but it becomes the true Israel is now Jew and Gentile followers of Jesus, okay? Paul uses an illustration to share this. This is why when you read through the book of Acts, and it talks about the Holy Spirit falling on Gentile believers, Peter's like, whoa, the Gentiles got it too. Like, can you believe that? In fact, Acts 10, 45, it says, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. They were shocked. They were caught off guard that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Three other times, it says that exact same thing. They're like, whoa, did you see that? The Gentiles got the gift too. Like something's happening among them. And here is how Paul describes this. 
This is why we're using the illustration of the tree. You guys got Romans 11, 17 through 20? But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree, Old Testament tree, think back to it, branch that was off on its own, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God had promised to Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Did you just see that picture again, right? So he's saying, now you Gentiles have been grafted into the tree that is the true Israel. Now you're part of this. He continues on. In verse 18, but you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Israel is still the root. Verse 19, well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. What is the foundation of the new tree of the true Israel? It is a foundational belief in Jesus Christ as Savior. So he continues on, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourselves, but fear what could happen to you, okay? So throw the picture back up, guys. So you have Paul giving this illustration, and he is saying there is a new tree and in this new tree, the true Israel, we have the Jewish followers who have remained faithful, and we also have Gentile followers that have been grafted in. He expands upon this in the book of Galatians, starting in, verse, in 3, verse 6. He says, in the same way, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 14, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. That is what you need to hear this morning. When we talk about Israel, when we talk about the case against rebellion, the call to repentance, and the other one, I, the, the covenant of restoration, when we talk about those things, and it's directed towards Israel, we have been grafted into that. We have inherited the same promise. We have become part of the people, right? So he says, so that those who believe might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Galatians 3, verse 16, God gave the promises to Abraham and his children. Watch the change. Watch the organic development. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. One thing missing. The New Testament tree, we have Gentile believers and Jewish believers create the true Israel. Where is the nation? I'm so glad you asked. Ezekiel 39 and Revelation chapter 12 paint this metaphorical picture of the restoration of the nation of Israel. And what it looks like is this. It is Jesus coming back, and when he comes back, he restores the nation of Israel. And at the restoration of the nation of Israel, he brings back all Jewish and Gentile believers who have now become the true Israel to reign and worship and celebrate with him in his land. So you have that last tree, right, guys? The, the final tree that I had is, oh, no. <laughs> you guys are funny. Really funny. All of you are fired. Now you're rehired. Learn a lesson, okay? Um, 
<laughs> Go to the other. Do you have the first tree, the very first one that you showed me? No, 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 no. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is Ezekiel 39, Revelation chapter 12, when we talk about what is it, how does it all come together, right? We know the Old Testament tree was the nation of Israel, then the faithful remnant, and Gentiles were out. The New Testament tree has Jewish believers and Gentile believers. The restoration of Israel looks like this. The nation is restored, and Gentile believers and Jewish believers are united together in worship in God's land. You're welcome for New Testament history in the book in the, in the nation of Israel. That's really full circle. Here's why that's important. Because we may not have lived through it, and we may not even be of the Jewish tree, but the application remains the same. The application to Israel in the book of Hosea, it's not contextually true of us. It is applicably true of us because we have become part of the tree. When the nation is restored, we're worshiping with our Jewish brothers in the nation of Israel. So the, the application is true. In other words, you don't have to experience it or live through it to learn from it. Anybody have flies going crazy right now? What is, these flies are insane. My backyard is covered with flies. I have them everywhere. So I got on Amazon, and I ordered these citronella candles, right? And I, I get these big, beautiful, and I'm like, ah, it's going to wipe out all the flies. It's just going to gas them all, right? So I light these candles and put them out there. And my daughter, Zion, loves candle wax. <laughs> yeah. So the candle's burning, and she sees the wax, and she's like, oh, that looks so fun. And she reaches in to touch it, and she gets it on her hands, and she burns herself on the flame. She's got wax on her hands. She can't get it off. She's flipping. She starts, she starts crying. She gets really, really upset, right? So what does Zadok do? He's like, oh, that looked fun. And he... Sticks his hand right in it. So then he's crying and he's upset. He's crying. And so Canaan looks at me from the couch and he says, Dad. I said, Yeah, but he said, No way I'm touching that. <laughs> one of three, right? I went one for three on that one. That's just parenting fail. But you, there, there's, there is this you can learn from touching or you can learn from watching. You can learn by living like the rebellious children of Israel right? And you can, you can run off, you can do your own thing, you can rebel, you can live your own way, you can curse God, you can live for yourself, and you, you can do exactly what they did, and you're going to learn a lesson. Or you can read their story, and you can watch them touch the candle and get burned. And when they touch the candle and get burned, and they pull back, you can be like Canaan's, huh? I'm not touching that one. Not going to be a part of it, right? So that is when we talk about Israel. You are going to hear Israel, 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 Israel. And as you hear it over and over and over again, we're speaking to ourselves and we're giving ourselves an opportunity to learn from a lesson and not from experience. Okay? It's a whole lot easier to learn from a lesson and not from experience, right? So one last thing, and then we'll be there. And then the introduction is done and my time is up, okay? 
book of Hosea overview really quick. Hosea saw the Assyrian captivity take place, all right? We, we somewhat talked about that. He preached 25 years against it. God called him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. They have three kids together. She commits adultery, and God tells Hosea to go and pay off her debts and to restore her. So here it is. It is the case against rebellion, the call to repentance, and the covenant of restoration. We're going to do a lot of reading today. I'm already thinking, what was I thinking doing a book of the Bible a week on Sunday mornings? But here we are. It's summer, right? You want to go out there and sweat, or do you want to learn about the nation of Israel? Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Did you hear the language? Here are the charges. This is the case against you. There's no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. We can make application, right? We can make application. Quit pointing your finger and passing the blame. God's speaking to you. He's not speaking to the person next to you. He's not speaking to the person who's not here that you wish was here. He's not speaking to the people you're upset with. He's speaking to you. Quit pointing your finger. Quit passing the blame and step into your accountability. My complaint, you priests, is with you. Verse 5. So you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night and I will destroy Israel, your mother. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me since you priests refuse to know me. We'll come back to that. That's a really important word. That's the third time it's been mentioned in this chapter. I refuse to recognize you as my, as my priests, since you have forgotten the laws of your God. I will forget to bless your children. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. When the people bring their sin offerings, the priests get fed. So the priests are glad when the people sin. It's job security, right? You keep sinning and I keep working. <laughs> Works out really great. No. God's saying that's horrible. That's not the plan. Please don't do that. Verse 9. And what the priests do, the people also do. So now I will punish both priests and people for their wicked deeds. They will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it. For they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. What? Looking after idols has made them foolish. They played the prostitute, serving other gods, and deserting their God. Let's stop there. There's a whole nother, there's 10 more verses, but you get the point, right? God's mad. There's a case of rebellion against the nation of Israel. And here is, <laughs> forgive me, okay, I love to pick on them, but this is the youth pastor theology in all of this, right? And I've heard this, and it drives me nuts. And it is, the, it is the, 
We're called to have the love of Hosea and to love the prostitute. And even when they go off and rebel and act crazy and do things they shouldn't do, we should be the Hoseas and we should go love the Gomers. And that's cute and that's not necessarily untrue, but that is not the point of the narrative at all. Here's the point of the narrative. Hosea is an illustration of who? Thank you. Say it again. Hosea is an illustration of who? Yes, Jesus. Hosea is an illustration of God. He said, this will be an illustration of God. So if Hosea is an illustration of God, who is Gomer? Who's Gomer? (laughs) You didn't think you'd come to church and get called a prostitute today, did you? (laughs) Who's Gomer? We're Gomer, right? That's what the narrative is saying, that we're the prostitute. It's really easy to read ourselves into the narrative of the hero of the story. I'm going to go be Hosea, and I'm going to love everybody, and even if they betray me and run out on me and rebel against me, I'm going to be the... No, no, no. You're the prostitute. You are the one rebelling. You are the one running away. You are the one who is guarding the true affections of your heart with idols, with social media accounts, with friendships, with posting and doing things you shouldn't be doing to gain popularity from people who don't care about your soul anyway. That is the way of the prostitute. And here is the thing. If we don't become aware of our depravity, we'll never appreciate our redemption. If you run around thinking you're Hosea, you are doing exactly what the nation of Israel is doing. Oh, I'm good. I'm great. I've got it all figured out. I'm just going to go be Hosea to a nation that needs love. But when you step into being the prostitute, when you step into recognizing, I am rebellious, I have sinful nature in my heart, I've got tendencies that I am covering up, and I am masking, and I'm masking by a number of things, and I need to, what does he say? What was his claim against them? You don't know me. You don't know me. That's what he's saying. The Hebrew word for know is yadah. It's a word that does not mean intellectual knowledge. It means intimate knowledge. Here's what he's saying. I know you guys, right? I know you. But I know Anna way differently than I know you. And here's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. You know me, but you don't know me. You know me, but you don't know. He said over and over again. What did he say? Well, look at the verses. It's in... Verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Hosea 4 verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't yada me. You may talk about me, you may make shrines and idols to me, but you don't know me. says it again, since your priests refuse to know me. Again, he says it in Hosea 6, 6, I want to show love not offer, he said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to yada me. I want you to really know me more than I want burnt offerings. Here's what I find interesting about this. What are they still doing? What are they still doing? He said, you're making vows. You show up and you make vows. You're going to the temple. 
You're meeting with the priests. You're making offerings. You're taking oaths, but you don't know me. Do you believe that you can show up to church, you can sign up to volunteer, you can give money, you can serve in kids, you can show up to a dinner party, you can show up to a summer activity, you can have a conversation with me and still not know God intimately? That's what he's saying. There is something missing deeper within your transformation. And until that changes, masking it with idols is merely being a prostitute. I have a, a, a favorite Christian cuss word. How oh, should I say it? Nah, okay, frickin'. That's my word. That, that is, when I, man, when I stub my toe, step on a Lego, Geez, Legos are all the rage in my house now. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm walking out to warm up a bottle, and I step on a Lego, and I'm like, freaking Lego. You know, that's my, that's my go-to Christian cuss word, right? Um, and then Canaan started saying it regularly and with violence. He's really hard on those consonants, right? I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that could go a really bad direction, right? So I start getting after him. I'm like, quit saying that word. Can't say that word. We created a, a frickin' jar that we uh, squirt vinegar in his mouth. When he, thank you, Kristen Hester, right? So I, I got the jar, and he says, frickin', and I'm like, open your mouth. He's like, You're gonna frickin' kill me. And I'm like, open it again. Open it again, right? <laughs> Give it to him again, right? And after he does the vinegar. And so then what happened was a, a couple hours later, I don't know what I did. I think I dropped a, a glass or something and spilled something. I was like, oh, it's Frickin' glass, and he goes, Dad, that's vinegar. I was like, uh, dang it. Do you be Jesus or do you be Pharaoh right now? Jesus is like, okay, I'll suffer with you. Pharaoh is like, do as I say, not as I do. I'm good, right? So after a couple shots of vinegar, I'm like, okay, you know, let's just relax on the, the frickin' punishment, right? So I'm still saying the word, I'm still getting after Canaan, and we're calling each other out. And then Zadok comes along, and he's two. And do you know what his first word was? His first clear word, like his first crystal clear, it wasn't daddy, it wasn't mommy, it wasn't food, it wasn't hungry, it was frickin'. <laughs> I kid you not. Anna has a video of it. He's, he's literally, so he says that, and I was like, oh, no. I looked down at him, and Kane was like, that was you, not me. That was you. you. You started this around here, right? And so I looked down at him, and I said, Zadok. I said, Zadok, come here, buddy. And he came over, and I said, Zadok, no frickin', no frickin'. And he starts going, no frickin', no frickin', no frickin', no frickin', no frickin'. And when everyone's laughing, he just keeps going, no frickin', no frickin', no frickin'. And so it was in that moment I realized something, right? Uh, it has to change with me. It has to change with me. I can't police it with vinegar, squirt bottles. I can't ground him to his room, and I can't do that. And if I keep doing it, it may change on the outside, but if it still exists in me, it's going to leak into every other area of my family. That's what God is saying to the nation of Israel. You don't know me. You know me on the outside. You got all the rules right. You got all the regulations right. You got all the guidelines right, but you're still saying it in your heart. You're still doing these things in your heart. He's calling them to a deeper level of transformation by the case against their rebellion. He's saying, you are rebelling. You, you think you know me, but you don't know me. That is the case against rebellion. Number two, 
the call to repentance. Hosea 14, 1 through 7. He says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Verse 3, listen to what they turn from. Assyria cannot save us. That was the, the governing body of the day. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars of Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees. Imagine hearing this after you hear you're a no good prostitute that's always running around in rebellion and I'm going to smash everything that you love and I'm going to destroy your life because you can't come back to me, right? And then he says, you are like branches that are beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 7, my people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines, and they will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. There is a sports psychologist named Dr. Jamie Robbins, and her work is really, really cool. She works with professional athletes, and she is she is now, and she's the, the front runner in this field. All of her research revolves around athletes who experience a severe injury that takes them out of play for six months or more, okay? And what she has done through her research is, here, here are her two discoveries. No, discovery number one is that all athletes heal about the same. It takes about the same amount of time. If you get this surgery and you get this done, give or take uh, you know, four to six weeks, but for the most part, Everyone heals at the same timeline, especially with the people that she works with. However, and this is what she said, there is a significant difference in those who have healed psychologically from their injuries and those who haven't. In other words, so there are some who will blow out their ACL, and when they blow out their ACL, they'll get the surgery, they'll get repaired, they'll get everything put back together, they'll do all the rehab, they'll ride the bike, they'll run, they'll practice, they'll start working out, they'll regain, regain their strength, and they'll go back out on the field. And here's what she found. She said they are 50% more likely to re-injure the same injury or to experience another career-threatening injury if they haven't healed from it psychologically. She said, so they may have the wrap on it, they may have the brace on it, they may have it all taken care of, but in their mind, if they're running worried about it, in their mind, if they're thinking, one sharp cut, I may blow this out again, in their mind, if they're thinking, I can't go through this again, they're up to 50% more likely to experience the same injury. On the flip side, she said, athletes that heal from their injury, both physically and psychologically reduce their, 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 or their opportunity to get re-injured significantly. I think it was like 30, 40% or something like that. So the athletes who take the time to do the deep work, to do the internal work, that is where God is at with the nation of Israel. And I think that's where he's at with us. 
He's given them a case against their rebellion. He's saying you have all these idols. You have all these things. Your idols may not look like shrines, but they're there. Whether it's a sports team, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a friend, whether it's a social media account, whether it's a new job opportunity, a new title at work, or whatever it may be, the idol exists. And he's saying your idols are keeping you from the deep, deep work that I need to do. You can quit it physically, but if you don't heal from it spiritually, you'll repeat it. If you don't heal from that brokenness that it's caused, from the disaster that it's created in you, in some way it's going to leak back out of you. It's going to come out of you again another way. So he says, here is your rebellion. You don't really know me. Your call to repentance is get rid of all the idols and do the deep work. Step in and do the deep work of healing to reconnect with me. And this is where he finishes. This is the covenant of restoration. I, I don't know that it gets more beautiful than this. Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. And amazing. It is, as we said, an illustration of Jesus. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. If I'm you, I'm circling these words. It's the second time they come up. Even though. Aren't you thankful that God's love is an even though love? Aren't you thankful that we can play the role of a prostitute and run and rebel and run from God and do all of the things we shouldn't and mask them with idols? And even though we do those things, he is willing to come back and love us. He is willing to come back and get us. He is willing to come back and care for us. So he says, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Number two, so I brought her back. Isn't that amazing? Picture a man whose wife is in prostitution, who's pregnant from an affair, and he goes and finds her on the street, and he loves her even though she's broken his heart. And not only does he love her even though she's broken his heart, but then he pays to have her, and he brings her back. So he bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. Good idea. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. Verse 4, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to the descendants of David, their king. In the last days... They will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. What's their cry now? Yada. Oh, that we may now actually know you. Know you in a way that is deeper than the things and in the places we show up on Sunday morning and the things that we mask on social media and everything else. That we may know you in a deep and intimate way. Let us press on to 
Oh, come on, you're with me still, right? Let us press on to... That's their cry. That's the covenant of restoration. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. My son Zadok, uh, the one who likes to follow his sister into the fire. It's great, right? Um, He's also in love with ice cream cones. He is, here's the thing, two-year-olds in ice cream cones. Why do we do it? Parents, why, why do we do it? Like, 95% of it winds up on them, on the car seat, in the car, on the floor, on the table, in the chair, everywhere, right? 95% of it, especially in Houston. Right now, like by the time they hand me the cone and I get it back to him in my truck, it's half melted. It's all over my hand. It's all over his hands. It just melts, and it's nasty. And for me, I don't know if you I'm, I'm like kind of finicky about getting my hands dirty. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, that's a great joke in Texas. Oh, Mr. Finicky hands, right? You know, I'm ready for it. You can bring it to me all you want, right? But I heard Aaron Frisch has the softest hands in the room. That's all that I know. Um, anyway, so I don't like getting sticky stuff all over me. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it. And he, I gave him this ice cream cone in my truck. And I mean, and when I say he got it all over, it, it literally melted down his arm into his clothes, dripped on his leg. He was wearing shorts. He had it all over his face. He had it in his eyebrows. I don't know how you get an ice cream cone in your eyebrows, right? But he had his eyebrows all over him. And I, I, I got home and I opened the door and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't really want to touch you. Can I just take the seat out and like carry you in in the seat? And he's, he's like, no, no, no. And so I unbuckled it and I took him out and I set him on the ground. And here was the problem. We have this, this mat that was on there. There's this rubber mat on our, on our driveway that the kids play on. They jump on and jump rope on and everything else. And I set him down on it and it was scorching hot from the sun. So then he's going like this. He's going, dad, dad, dad. He's like, he's burning, right? His feet are burning. He's covered in ice cream. And I'm like, you should have been cleaner with that cone, buddy. I don't know what you're thinking. But there, and he's just, and I was like, okay. And I reach down and I pick him up and I kid you not, the first thing I feel down the back of my neck is an ice cream cone and it's melting and it's just sticky and gross. And he's all, and he's rubbing his face all over my shirt and his sticky, nasty little hands are all over me. And he's, and I look at him and he's smiling ear to ear. And it was just one of those moments where, like, only a father for his child, right? Only if it was your kid, their feet are toasted, right? (laughs) But it's my child, and he's burning, and he's on fire, and he needs to be rescued. That is the promise of God's restoration to the nation of Israel. That's the promise to you, that you can be a dirty, nasty, it just feels so inappropriate to say prostitute, but we're just using the Word of God here, right? That you can be so rebellious that you can be so much trouble to the heart of God, and yet when you come to Him, what does He say? I will restore you from your faithlessness, and you will know me like you've never known me before.